Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. We are the Bad RNG. Today, we have with us the normal people that are here every week, every other week, every couple weeks. Every two weeks. Every two weeks. Each iteration. <laughs> every scheduled release date, we are here. Um, today, I actually got to pick this topic, and it's a topic that I feel very strongly about because I actually love this. It's a genre of game, and today we're going to be talking about roguelikes. I have strong feelings about this. I have so many feelings. I got a lot of peop people, and you feelings are going to hear about them. <laughs> you got a lot of people, and you're going to... And your feelings are going to hear about them, yeah. Hear about them. Yeah, he went going with, with it. it. Yeah, he went, he went hard on that. But today we're talking about roguelikes. And if you're not familiar with what a roguelike is, um, go play Shovel Knight. And then <laughs> Google roguelikes, and then come back. And now we will define it for you. And listen to the podcast. Shovel Knight actually has nothing to do with it. I just think everybody should play that at least once every two weeks. Yes. We we always suggest playing Shovel Knight. Yes. Shovel so Knight. please do. Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight. But in a, in a basic sense, what roguelikes are is they're games that are different every time. They're randomized in some way or another, and uh, you're not supposed to win every time. You're supposed to win like maybe ten percent of the time, unless you're like godlike at the the gameplay itself. The term is what procedurally generated. Procedurally generated, generated yeah. Procedurally generated. They have permadeath with maybe some lingering progress. Yeah, some lingering progress. Uh, usually, they involve unlocking like better items. There's a lot of items in those types of games. Um, for some specific examples, we'll we'll say Risk of Rain. Binding of Isaac, uh, Rogue Legacy, uh, Faster Than Light, FTL. Uh, what are some other good ones? Some other good roguelikes. Uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Crypt of the Necrodancer. That's Cadence of High Rule. Cadence of High Rule. Do we get yeah. Enter the Gun Dungeon? Enter the Gun Dungeon. <laughs> Enter the Gun Dungeon. <laughs> uh, Hotline Missouri. Hotline <laughs> Milwaukee. Milwaukee. That's what it was. Hotline Milwaukee. That's not actually a roguelike. That's. Well, it's Hotline Miami is the actual game, but I think they actually there's a game called there is or no it's Hotel Mil or is no it it's hot it's Hotline Milwaukee is what it is is it yeah there's like a like a bootleg yeah collection. yeah Hotline they uh, they did their own like bootleg game package where <laughs> yeah. they sold bootlegs of their own games such as uh, not Downwell but Shooty Boots and, uh, <laughs> and Enter the Gun Dungeon Enter the Gun Dungeon <laughs> Hotline Milwaukee. Dollar. Oh my god! I did. I did not know yeah. this. I'm gonna have to get these. Things. Yeah, it was a it was a devolver, but it like the devolver was spelled differently. It was like with an O at the end. <laughs> devolver it was digital like devolver. Uh, official bootleg game pack. I like it. I didn't know that. I did. I I knew there was like a Milwaukee one, but I thought like they're undercutting G two A by pirating their own games. But uh, yeah, it's it, there's different experiences every time, and they're heavily based on game knowledge, generally yeah. speaking. Like knowing the mechanics of the game is usually very important for success. But I I think they're fun because they they add a lot of replay value. There's a lot of different goals for you to to work towards, and generally they they keep you interested and involved and engaged with wanting to play the game for a very very long time. Yeah. At least that's the goal. And depending on the game, I mean, like I, like I said earlier before we started the podcast, the first one I played was Rogue Legacy. And what I liked about Rogue Legacy is Rogue Legacy is difficult, but I don't think it's, like, insanely difficult. Like, it's not super hard. But their way of counteracting that is the New Game Plus. Like, you, you beat it, you could do it again, New Game Plus, it, the enemies are that much harder, they yeah. hit that much harder, you know, and I love that. 
Uh, but that was the first game I I had experienced with it. And I remember the first time I played it, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I have no idea what's happening. It was, I, I hadn't, obviously, I'd never played a roguelike game before, so I had no idea what to expect. So I go in and, you know, I die and I'm like, ah, crap. All right, so I'm a descendant. That's fine, whatever. And I go into the castle and the castle's completely different. I'm like, the hell, man? What like, is happening? I just did this. Like, <laughs> it did, why did it change? Like, I had no idea. Take me back to the old level. <laughs> but you could do that. Huh? I think yeah. uh, if you spent a certain amount of gold. After you got, like, to a certain point, I think after you've beaten the, the first boss once. I think so. There is a, an NPC who lets you lock the castle wherever, in whatever position it's in. Yeah. And so it, it gives you the same level. Yeah. Okay. So it gives you the opportunity that if you want to do it that way, you can. And that game also introduced the idea of upgrades that carried over into future playthroughs. Yes. Where you could go to the blacksmith and upgrade your weapon, you could upgrade your magic, you could upgrade your armor, you could upgrade just about anything. And the better you did, the more you were able to upgrade for the next run. Yeah. But that was, and, and that was the thing, you had to make that choice because... You could lock in your castle, but I think it cost you like 85% of your coins or something like that. that. And if you do that, you're not going to be able to do the upgrades at the blacksmith to the castle. Yeah. Because it's like a little like castle thing and you do each, you spend so much money and it unlocks another thing. Yeah, unlock more tiers and yeah, whatever it is. Uh, But you won't have the money to do that. So you have to make that decision of do I want to, do I feel like I'd be more comfortable with a level I know or would I be better suited with more upgrades? Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting idea, the way they did that. And I feel like with a lot of roguelikes, there's a, there's the, the the choice aspect of it. Yeah, like choice kind of seems, seems pretty central to it. Like, yeah. like you, you have these these two options. Which one are you going to take? Like mm-hmm. the, These will have consequences. There will be missed opportunities. Yes. And yes. I find that the decisions that the game has you make is in is unique depending on the the actual roguelike it's not universal across all roguelikes yeah like for example when you're talking about rogue legacy your your main choice is going to be which of the three descendant options would you like to be and do you want to spend your money on upgrades or familiarity with the with the level layout whereas with something like say uh, FTL it's heavily influenced by your for lack of a better term, your character selection, the type of ship that you choose yes. is very uh, crucial to how you end up playing the game. And same thing with Binding of Isaac, where the, the character that you select has a win condition that is unique to that character. And it all depends who you are and the choices that you make define how you end up playing the game. Yeah. Like, if you go for upgrades, like since we're going to stick with the Rogue Legacy then you know that even though the castle is going to be different, it's also going to be a little easier because you're stronger now. Or you can go into a castle that you know, and you know the layout, you know where everything is, and you can go right to it, but you lose the ability to make yourself stronger in the future. Yeah. So there's there's a trade-off there that needs to occur. I thought, I thought it was funny. I thought the first rogue like you would have played was Binding of Isaac. No, I really, I, I honestly thought that, but no, that's the one that, was... that's the one that stuck the most. But the first one I played was FTL. 
Yeah, and, and I, I noticed now you're you're big in Gungeon. I've been playing a lot of Enter the Gungeon. Yeah. Not Gun Dungeon. Not Gun Dungeon. No, the Gungeon. The, gungeon. the, the, gungeon. the ripoff. Yeah, the, yeah, rip-off. the ripoff one. Not like the original, very valid Enter the Gun Dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm playing a lot. Gungeon, of gungeon isn't even a real word. <laughs> but I'm I, I'm Hard. very much into roguelikes. I mean, it's it's pretty much what the randomizers are nowadays. Yeah, that's like, kind of it's not just you. Like we're putting roguelike in. Everything. Everything. Yeah, we're like, putting in games that came out like 30 years ago. Like Link to the Past Randomizer is basically just a roguelike with an identical map every time. Yeah. Yeah. And like where things are determine where you can get in the game. And it's that has a lot to do with like your knowledge of the game. Like, you know, you get the hammer, what does that open up? Where can you go? You get the hook shot. Where can you go? Kind of goes to show not every roguelike needs all these listed elements, right? Like right. you don't even need a randomized world map. To have something that feels rather roguelike. Mm-hmm. So, what is it exactly? Do you think is that, or I mean, I, I'm sure it's not one thing, but what is it that sells you on the roguelike? Like, what what is that feature that sticks out that makes you want to keep going back? Uh, difficulty, but progress. So it's the ability to get a little bit further than I did the last time. Okay. And I, I, a lot of that comes with a good difficulty curve. And that's, I feel like that's key when you're playing a lot of these roguelikes is like a big part of the design has to do with the, the difficulty curve as well as balancing. Because like if you make it through the first level, you get to the second level and you're getting just destroyed over and over and over again, but you're breezing through the first level, then it's a poor design because you're not there's that lack of progress. You should feel like you at least have a fighting chance if you're able to breeze through the first level. The difficulty curve is too steep at that point. And I feel like that's a lot of problems with some of the other roguelikes. Yeah. Where it just... The difficulty jump is way too big. Like, for for me, I think it's probably just the randomness of it. It keeps the game fresh. Yeah. Like, while using the same elements sort of over and over again and I think that's what sells people on like the randomizers is that it's the same game at its at its core it's the same exact game but it's different uh, and I think a lot and of it, it poses a new challenge I think a lot of it for me as well is playing with the rules that the system has in place right so because it's so heavily influenced on game knowledge the items that you get are going to be random like the boss encounters that you're going to get are going to be random the maps may or may not be random, but it's the ability to show off that game knowledge and tinkering around within this within the system to figure out how best to manipulate things in your favor, right? So there's going there's always going to be some randomness. How can you tip the scales of randomness in your favor? How can you give yourself good RNG as opposed to bad RNG? <laughs> By going to the Patreon and yeah. paying us to stop podcasting. <laughs> exactly. Um, you read my mind. I was about to say You that. guys are right on top of that. Just, a, just one <laughs> small donation could keep us from podcasting today. Well, but, not, today. Well, not, today. not today. This but, is pre-recorded. Yeah, yeah. But the next time. I mean, no, this is live. <laughs> we're live, pal. Every, every live, single time uh, you listen to it, we're live. <laughs> yes. Just um, ready. Uh, we just stay here. here waiting for someone to hit play. But yeah, I, I think it's it's the dynamic challenge. Uh, there's there's a distinction I don't think we've made with game knowledge. Where the, there's a kind that is kind of antithetical to roguelikes, which would almost be more like speedrunners things, where it's like I've memorized where this is and to yeah. do this and to like very mechanically play the game this way. 
where roguelike will will have established rules and you have game knowledge on like a theory crafting level right but in the moment like there's mystery and there's unknowns to your mm-hmm. to you as yeah. a player it's it's largely about setting yourself up for success like in FTL your your main goal in that game for the most part was to get as much scrap as humanly possible because scrap is what allows you to become stronger it's what allows you to basically level up so your goal is to get as much scrap as possible and that's like your main thing and that in and of itself sets you up for success later on down the line right and like knowing the best ways and the best places and like where and how to get that scrap in the most abundant way possible is is key to that game and it's it's about knowing the systems right. and mechanics are in place so there's dynamic challenge and then also specifically consequences i think are kind of important and that's why like randomizers don't generally get called roguelikes cuz yeah. like if you if you like don't say go to a room in link to the past randomizer uh, there are there's the consequence of you'll have to go back, but like there's no real missed opportunity. Yeah, because you, you can know? always go back. They don't they don't close off that room. You don't lose and have to start over. But with roguelike, like you collect that scrap because when situations arise, your game could end. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of it. Like the I don't know if permadeath is necessarily like completely necessary, but some equivalent consequence of like this run has ended is yeah. really intrinsic. Yeah. Um, one game that we forgot about was Nuclear Throne. I've never actually played I Nuclear played Throne. That. Really? I have the... Uh, yeah, you box. Got, you got the box. I heard it was good. Oh, folks, look at that. Wow. The, uh... Wow, take a look at that. This what? this is going to be a great podcast. Everybody's oh, going to look like, at this. They can, they can look at the box and, and check it out. Uh, if you want to see it, go to our Patreon and pay us $10, and then we'll take the picture down, and you'll never <laughs> see it again. <laughs> but I think I, I really enjoyed Nuclear Throne because it kind of added two things together that I that I like, which is I, I always enjoyed Twin Sticks, and I think that's... I do. I love me some Twin Sticks. You know, and it, it, it reminded me of... It sort of reminded me of Binding of Isaac because of that, because Binding of Isaac is that sort of like twin stick unless mm-hmm. you're playing it keyboard. You play keyboard. Um, I've never played it that way. I've always played with a controller, but um, it kind of reminded me of that, but a little bit more like the levels are a little bit more open. Like yeah. it's not room to room. It's just one big area kind of. More explore. like a Risk of Rain type of thing. Where you have floors. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's like uh, how it's risk of rain was more to the side, whereas this looks like it's more over the top. Yeah, it's sort of top down. It's uh, it kind of reminds me of like Gauntlet. Okay. Almost. Yeah, it's sort of like a, a gated challenge where like the there's an ongoing kind of toll of like find the end of this section, get into the next one. Like that's kind of the goal is just keep finding the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't sound exactly compelling, but then you play them and it's like, oh yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah it works. Yep. It does. As long as the challenge continues to rise at a good pace. Yes. Yeah. The the difficulty curve keeps keeps going in a in a manageable way. And but there's there's one that we've been playing a lot of recently, and that's Risk of Rain Two. Yes. Which I think is interesting. Uh, I, I don't know why, but my brain was like, oh, a 3D roguelike? like. Yeah. Uh, why why does that challenge my brain so much? <laughs> 
Well, that's what I thought was interesting when we were talking about it. And I need to stop saying that. I say that far too much. It was interesting. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, this engaged me. The when I first saw Risk of Rain two get announced, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it worked pretty well in. In, in Risk 2D. Rain, yeah, in the 2D in space. In the 2D, you know, side-scrolling style. I like that. I was like, how will they tra- How will they translate it to 3D? And it's flawless. It's pretty literal, yeah. yeah. It's it's really, really solid. And it's... I mean, it reminds me of the transition from 2D to 3D back on the N64. When you had, like, Super Mario and, like, Legend of Zelda transitioning into 3D... And like the the play styles just matched even yes. in the new completely new environment. It was very thoughtfully done. Yes, and it's still in it's still in early access. However, they do have a release date announced. And yeah, they have like a whole didn't they like have a like a whole content layout. roadmap? Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, uh, that's a game I would highly recommend. I would give that a try if you're if you're into roguelikes or or just class based shooters. I think the only thing. And I, I mean, I guess it's it's a little bit of a nitpicky thing for me. It's not necessarily a hindrance to the game because right. it's fine. But I would like to see sort of the maps regenerate in a way because when you so to give people an idea, when you're playing Risk Rain, when you go into the first level, the layout of the level is exactly the same. Every time you go through, the teleporter will be in a different spot. Like the yeah. maps are exactly geographically yes. the same, though. I would, it would be neat because, like, I don't know how much they could change that, but like, if it was even say like Left 4 Dead 2, where the maps were generally the same, but like, say staircases might be like in the opposite direction, like small changes, yeah, made big differences to the well, map they, where things became like less accessible in certain ways. So you had they to have think that Do they? Yeah. There's a in in on the first map specifically. If you uh, occasionally like, there's a door that's there that sometimes they have not the open. doors. And yeah. then there's uh, there's a rock bridge leading over to the other island that it's on like the far side. And it may or may not be there. It may or may not be there. You uh-huh. know, where, like when you wrap around the cliff and you go yeah, back. Yeah, I up. know the one you're talking about, the rock bridge, because yeah. that's where that like little there's the airlift area, and sometimes the porter will be there to fight the boss. It's yeah, with the cli- with the cliff that comes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know where you're talking about. And that I, bridge sometimes doesn't exist. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I've never experienced that. So yeah, I've seen. I don't it a recall couple seeing it. I might as well just shut the fuck up now. It might, it might be one of those <laughs> things where I mean, like you didn't notice few it, things. but your brain did. <laughs> But that's, I haven't seen many in that game. So, I mean, maybe there's more stuff coming like that later. That's kind of it is. It's one of those ones where, like, I like what's there now. If this was it, I'd be like, all right, this is a good game. But there is more coming. And I think you have to have that standard. Like, we can't just accept whatever as a as a beta or alpha access or whatever the hell they call it now. Yeah. Magic early time plays. <laughs> um, like, you, you, it is fair to judge, like, is this an acceptable game right now? And right now, I would say it is. Like, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. And what what's it like? Twenty bucks? Uh, yes, twenty bucks. So for twenty yeah, bucks, for I would 20 say bucks. that's not unreasonable. Yeah. But like, I also like think about my criticisms are things that will probably be met. Like sometimes it feels like the game's just a little too straightforward. Like you just play and well, basically play as engineer and you win yeah. by standing yeah. still. 
Like, if they could add more to do or to, like, limit you or change up your challenge. Yeah, so sitting here now looking at, they have what they're calling the Early Access Forecast. So they just came out with their new one, which added a new area called the Scorched Acres. Mm -hmm. uh, it added a new survivor, new stage, new boss, new items, equipment, and more. So they have another one coming out in September, which has Skills 2.0, which I'm interested to understand yeah, what I'm that is. Yeah, I'm curious where they go with that one. Uh, another new survivor, another new stage, new boss, new items, equipment, and more. Uh, fall, they're coming out with Survivor, new Hidden Realms. So I'm assuming another like Lunar Coin area type thing. Yeah, well, there's two Hidden Realms in there now. There's the, there's the Lunar Coin vendor, and then there's the place where you obliterate yourself from existence. And there's also the... Uh, the gold, the gold orb. No, nah, that's a different place. That's called the Gilded Coast. That's not a hidden realm. Okay, okay, gotcha. So another hidden realm, another boss, items, equipment, and more. Then in winter, they'll have Artifacts 2.0, which I... Which they wanted. don't even have 1.0, I don't think. Well, Artifacts in the original game were like modifiers that you could put on the game as a whole. And the it's in the menu now, but it just, like you can expand it and it just says, like, coming soon. Coming yeah, soon, coming yeah. soon. Um, new stage, new boss, new item, equipment, and more. And then spring of 2020, they have the the official launch, which is new survivor, stage, boss, items, equipment, and more. But well, so, I'm curious so a lot to see. I, I like the fact that they have a map for it, like a forecast. Like, this is how we're planning on releasing the content. This is what we're currently working on. This is when you can expect that this game will be, quote-unquote, done. done. Yeah. Right. I, I think it, what it means to me more, because, like, I, I would trust that they have more that they would say makes it done if they didn't have this, but this sets a goalpost. Like, yeah. This is, this is what we see as the skeleton of the game that's being filled in. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You look at the new Death Star, you see where the circle fills in. Yeah. Like, there it is. Star Wars reference. <laughs> yes. Star Wars reference. I actually, because you said Star Wars reference, it did remind me. We said in the last episode with Cara, which you should go listen to, by the way. Go listen to it and then come back and listen to this one. And and send her cat pictures. Send cat pictures. Um, But we said before the podcast started that we were going to talk about Dark Souls. and We didn't. Well, she, she told us that she had never played Dark Souls. We so did mention again. it a little bit. Yeah, there was a little <laughs> bit. bit. But I don't think that was during the episode. I think that was before we started. You might be right. We had be. a full episode with no mention of Dark Souls this at all. This is the all. first episode anniversary of not talking about Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wow. Man, we've come a long way, guys. I'd like to thank um, us for doing this. <laughs> I'd like to thank all the cats. All the cats. <laughs> all the pictures of all the cats. Yeah, but I, I just had I had to bring that up. When you said the Star Wars thing, it just made me think of it. I don't know why. Well, it looks like I have to leave the podcast then. Very good, wow. very good. Should I point again? <laughs> we got him to leave the podcast, and nobody even had to Patreon a single dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so... Question for you guys, just like sure. as a as a design thing when it comes to roguelikes. Do you think the random nature of it, it takes the burden off of the designers or does it add additional pressure to the designers to make sure that everything can be balanced for every situation? I think it puts more pressure on them. You think so? I think I think it can kind of be both, but I think it leans more towards the latter. It's it's kind of like making 
like a it's like a clockmaker sort of thing where all the parts have to kind of like click right and right. If, if they don't it breaks and sprays all over and you lose some springs and shit right makes sense yeah like i just think about like you said to to make sure that no matter what the instance is it's got to you got to attempt your best to make the most balanced experience that mm-hmm. you can have now obviously that doesn't always happen because we've had games where you, I think you told me about it. You had a game where you had, in Risk of Rain Two, where you had like fourteen bustling fungus, <laughs> and it was like I'm just healing forever. Yeah, I can't. I literally so I cannot can't die. die. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's instances like that. The only way you're going to die is if you get one shot. Yeah, or if you make a huge mistake. Yeah. So, which is a weird balance to strike because I think one of the appeals of roguelikes is the ability to break the game. Yeah, That's true. That is very true. That's one of my favorite things to do in Binding of Isaac is to just break the shit out of it yeah it just get together a combination of items that the game does not expect you to ever have together and you're just like well i guess i have all of all of the things now so everything i can be, ever want there should be something that stops you right like either like the just the current of chance where like you might not get these combinations of items or like i, I kind of want to avoid like advocating like limit it like oh you can only get five bustling funguses that well, would be a little boring well yeah. there are games that actually do risk of rain 2 actually has a has a stop gap in place for that and do it's that. Da- it's dps caps on bosses oh dude okay yeah. yes there's you can only deal a certain amount of damage per second to a boss and there are a few exceptions um like if a projectile does more than a thousand damage in one shot then you bypass the dps cap it's okay. just like you're so overpowered that just like there's nothing it. it can do just fuck it like you yeah. can have it <laughs> right but you probably put a lot of thought into this shot for the for the most part there's dps caps on the bosses so no matter how much damage you're actually dealing you're guaranteed to at least get a little bit of a fight out of the end of each each game yeah so uh, isaac actually has dps caps on certain bosses too only certain like end game bosses but it does have them there. Okay. Isaac is also a much more difficult game to break. Yeah. Because the I items mean, you need for that are a lot more specific, and there's hundreds of them, whereas in Risk of Rain, there's like four dozen. <laughs> At I'm most, not, four dozen. Yeah, I'm not even sure how many items there are, and I don't know how many more may be added. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be... like Because they did add items in this newest update. They added some mm-hmm. items to it. So Did they have items 2.0 on there? Was that one of them? No. Uh, no, there's skills 2.0 and artifacts 2.0. Yes. So I think artifacts is probably the one that's going to affect that the most. Yeah. Yeah, maybe skills 2.0 involves something more because I, I think like when I see that, what I see is the current system we have in there is a skeleton of what we want to do. Yeah, and we're going to replace it. Yeah, and like I wonder if there will be interchangeable powers for people or whatever. But like artifacts are, sound like is going to be like like run wide like mutators modifiers, and yeah, modifiers. Mutators, yeah. yeah. I will say, me, me and Alex were playing Risk of Rain 2 the other night. We played, I think, just one round. Yeah. No, we played two, but the second round was when we got Rex, and we both died in, like, a minute. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, But, but uh, in that game, I had 17 pairs of Lensmaker's glasses. <laughs> so every shot I shot was a crit. Like, every single one. It was guaranteed. Nice. That I would crit people every time. And that's another interesting distinction between, like, a lot of roguelikes is, like, in Risk of Rain, your whole goal is to stack up items, right? You want to just stack up, like, instances of a single good item. The more of a single item you have, the better each one is. Yeah. 
Whereas, like, in other roguelikes and most other roguelikes, you can't have multiples of the same item. In Isaac, you can't. Yeah. In FTL, uh, can you? I think you can. I think you, you can have multiples of the same weapon, but, like, they, it's there's slots, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. like, you, you only, only have, have so, so many uses. much energy, they all got to charge, so yeah. it's just another, you know, click. Yeah. Yeah. But that you're you're limited in the in the resources that you can get in some way, like in Risk of Rain, it's all about the money that you have. Like yes. every item you get costs money, and so your goal is to make the best use out of all of your money. Yeah, and it's it, they all have those kinds of of win conditions, I guess. Yeah, and success I, conditions. I don't maybe not win conditions, but success conditions. I do wonder to like what degree how much like. Because the items stack, is there a limit to how many you can stack before, like, the the ability just kind of... Like, for example, I guess the one I would use is Tough Times. So, it, for people who haven't played the game, Tough Times is, like, it's like a little teddy bear thing you get. And what it does is that it occasionally will make you deflect attacks. You won't take any damage. If I had, say, like, 30 of them, am I just going to never get hit? Like, is that a possibility, or did is there some sort of stopgap in there? Yeah, like, it doesn't I think it explain depends on the if there's, like, a diminishing return on it, or or if there's, like, an invisible cap. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's not listed. I mean, I, I'm saying if you get 30 tougher times, then you deserve not to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> but, each, true. but each item actually has a formula, so you get a bonus... So you get your your effect of the item, mm -hmm. and then you get an additional bonus per stack, and it's going to I, some. I think tougher times might have a max, but it's unique to the individual items. Gotcha. Okay. But there are some where it'll like it'll continue to increase, like say lensmaker's glasses, your chance to hit crits. If you have like a certain number of them, then it's your your percentage is going to hit a hundred percent. Like, you're going to hit crits 100% of the time. Yeah. And then, you know, you'll still get, like, the extra 12% crit chance, but it's not going to matter because you're already at 100%. You're already there, yeah. So there's diminishing returns in that way with certain items, I guess, I can imagine. Okay. That's pretty... That's but they're, makes sense. they're yeah, built-in caps. That makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're talking a lot about Risk of Rain 2 because it's the game we've probably most as a group played, yeah. Yeah. played the most in, um, in recent time so here, here's a weird one uh, it's not exactly roguelike but it is risk of rain is i like the second game uh i don't think the first one's bad but i just couldn't get into it and i think it's because of the size of the sprites like does this bother <laughs> anybody like yeah it, not just this game but in general like these ones are too small but usually my problem is if the sprites are too big i don't like a game it's like oh my <laughs> it god it did kind of have like the reverse problem where they were very small yeah it was hard to see where you were on the screen yeah and i th i think there is a way to change that in the is menus there? but i'm not 100 percent sure because uh, I think that also when I played the first one, like I, I wasn't entirely familiar with the concept, so I felt like I wasn't doing it right. Yeah, like, uh, this clock is going. Should I be going somewhere? <laughs> um, well, that's an interesting aspect of it too. The the timer, where right. it's it's continually it gets harder the longer it goes. So yeah. you can scour the levels for items, but your next level is going to be that much harder. Yes. It's it's all on the timer, as opposed mm -hmm. to like Isaac gets harder by like floor, right? Floor, yeah. yeah. The timer doesn't really matter. You can take your time on each floor, but as soon as you go down, you know what you're going to be hit with. 
And so I guess that's the there. cool thing about roguelikes in general is that they, they they're kind of an examination of existing mechanics and yeah. and it kind of shuffles them into like how can we make like a an ongoing I don't know environment in which you can free float right. and see if you can survive. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting take on it. And it's it's an interesting design philosophy too. Just that that whole idea of randomness like I don't know. I I I find it to be very engaging personally. It's, I just wonder what kind of game mechanic could be taken next and recontextualized into a roguelike type mechanic. You know, yeah. Like, like we've taken levels or timers. Like what what could, what could be the next sort of like standard of progress or increasing difficulty? Yeah, I mean we've had maps. I'm there's, I there's, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious to see what direction it goes. Yeah, because I think the first one that really shocked me after the the initial set of, like, roguelikes came out was the introduction of multiplayer. Because most of them were just that single-player experience. And it was like, now it's a multiplayer experience. And as much as it may... As much as some people may think it feels exactly the same, it it is quite different. Oh yeah, when you walk into a roguelike with multiple players, because there's a lot that needs to be thought about, especially when you're talking about a game like a like a Risk of Rain, or if you were talking about even like a, a Binding of Isaac. Now I know Binding of Isaac is a multiplayer, but it actually does have multiplayer. It does. Yeah. Wow. Really. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. If you if because I play on keyboard. Yeah. Uh. If you have someone who has a controller or if you play on controller or a keyboard mm-hmm. and they press either enter or start, it'll spawn a little little helper guy that you can control. Okay. Oh. I meant like a full on Oh no, you don't like have the full secondary player. No. Because the, quite the like thing that. I was thinking of is items. Like when you're when you really start thinking about it at that point, because we've had that conversation where you you kinda like I'll when we're playing Risk Rain, I'll I'll tab. So you can see what the other right. players are doing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, Pat has one item, I have three, Alex has three. Let's make sure Pat gets some items. Right. Yeah, and where, where the survivability, your teammates can actually be like, if if you're gonna be like all selfish, Gene, about it, then like, uh, you know, their survivability actually impacts you as well because yeah. they're intrinsically part of your survivability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, with with these roguelikes, the more players there are, the difficulty scales up based on the number of players that are yeah. going to be there. Mm-hmm. So if you lose one, now you've just put yourself at a disadvantage no matter how many and you're you in have. a hole, yeah. So you're I think that was a really, like, that was one of the first changes that I saw from that really interested me uh, was when they introduced multiplayer and how it was going to be used. That's kind of neat, leveraging more players against, like, a scarcity element. Yeah, when you're not on opposite teams, that's that's an interesting dynamic, I think, for people to interface. Over. Yeah, that involves like communication, a little bit of strategy, a little mm. bit of awareness as well. A little bit of breaking the lizard brain, you know, like don't just don't just press the button on all the chests. Like, yeah. We got to think about this. Yeah. Well, one of the things I find interesting about roguelikes that it's been happening over the last couple of years is you have it in Risk of Rain Two, you have it in Binding of Isaac. Uh, in Risk of Rain Two, it's called the Prismatic Trials. And Isaac is called the daily, yeah. Where the, every player seated basically the it's a seated, seated run. run. Yeah, every player gets the exact same run. They get the same items, the same RNG, same bosses, same money drops, same everything. And there's a uh, scoring and timing, and you you compete 
against everyone else trying to do the run as best they can. And it's it's interesting. Yeah, I find a, that whole aspect of it, that whole like single player competitive to be really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. The I, I guess it's as neat as like the randomizing is like now we have the measuring pole. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of a a, a twist. The exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. But uh, Frank's bringing up some some other roguelikes, and there was one there that I can't believe I forgot about. There's two here that I can't believe I forgot. Dead Cells Dead and Cells. Darkest Dungeon. See, I didn't yeah. play Darkest Dungeon. Darkest Dungeon is tough. That's what it's I heard. really fun, but tough. Yeah, yeah, I love me some Dead Cells. I played a shitload of Dead Cells. I don't play it so much anymore. Oh, man. Actually, the King's on there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to gift you guys that game. I've wanted to play that for a while. What is it's um, it's like a turn-based combat type game, but all three players can control themselves and like kind of move around, and it's like this uh like hexagonal map, and you just can move around, and there's different like people you have to fight, areas, things you have to do. Some kind of a board game, sort of. It's sort of like a board mm. game, uh but it's that would make uh, a great game to play during a stream if we were trying to do like a podcasty sort of thing like something a little lower intensity yeah yeah and and the thing is it's like i said you can you can go off on your from what i understand you can set off on your own but you can also move with your group so you could run into the risk of getting into a battle if you go alone that you're not equipped to fight alone. Yeah. If you split off from your teammates. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting and I've been I I've, I've been meaning now that it's now that it's 10 bucks I think. I Let's have, play this. I think I might have to get All right, I'm sold. This game. <laughs> All right, I am sold. But Dead Cells had a had an interesting uh decision dynamic with the the scrolls. Yeah. Yeah. Like the 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 scrolls that you find, and as they like complemented your your items and the things that you were using in your playstyle, like there was a huge amount of choice with all of those scrolls. Like they kind of they they represented a tough thing for me as far as my brain processes roguelikes, where um like you kind of wanted to ba- like you wanted to exploit like one, but also like balance them because yeah. of diminishing returns. But the game doesn't do much if anything to inform you of how the diminishing returns work yeah yeah so it's it's very kind of difficult to parse like what am i supposed to do later on yeah yeah i'll be honest for me when playing dead cells which i've finished the game multiple times i think i've beaten it on every difficulty Mm. um i still got to move up to the next difficulty i think i'm on two cells for me it was uh i think it goes up to seven no, it's four. Or four. Oh, what game am I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking of Rogue Legacy. <laughs> goes up. Well, that keeps going up, but I went up to seven. Um, but the the thing I noticed when playing Dead Cells was I always went purple, red. I I almost ignore green. Yeah, I, it depends on what depended on the items you had. There were a lot of a lot of good items that got much much better with green scrolls. A lot of the healing stuff. Yeah, which I actually like that that it's informed both by chance of finding items, but also your taste. Yeah. Um. I always went hard red. That was uh, hard yeah. red, little bit of purple, little bit of green. 
Yeah, for me it was it was it was kind of a blend of red and purple because I liked using the secondary purple items, which was yeah. typically like the uh, the turrets, the turrets, and the and, and like bear traps and stuff like oh, the that. The bear traps are so good, or the um, even like the, the freeze ice grenades grenade. yeah. and stuff like that. Like those on top of weapons was the way I went. Healing was always secondary. I was very like aggressive about the way I played. Oh yeah. I was trying to think of what made me stop playing Dead Cells. Like, what was the thing that, like, didn't really sit with me? I was thinking about eh. And I realized it's because my controller's D-pad stopped working well. <laughs> so that's my biggest criticism of the game is that... It my, broke your D-pad? My right? D-pad doesn't work. My D-pad doesn't work. I'm sold. I'm going to play I, it. I can't I'm jump sold. down from platforms because down doesn't work right, Oh, no. Which is really limiting. So you can only go... You're on an elevator that only goes up. Yep. Uh, well, I'm at the top level, and I need to go down one of two ways, so end of run. <laughs> I know this podcast is not about controllers, but controllers play such a huge part. No, it's so big. I mean, I'll, 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 I'm going to, again, this is the episode of visuals because we have to have our visuals, and that's what you guys expect from us. Me and Alex were playing Rocket League the other night, and that happened. In the middle of the game. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, the rubber came the off. The rubber came the, off the left stick. And I was like, I can't use this. <laughs> like it was totally oh, no. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh no. It, it's the worst. So I had to like literally switch controllers like mid game. So I did finally invest in a different controller. Uh I got the eight bit dough SN thirty, the, the one the with twin the two, stick yeah. Super Nintendo controller. Um Wired too, okay. so that's what I want. It doesn't have the clicky D-pad, but it is okay. I can't render a verdict yet. I got to play at least ten thousand hours of games. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. I just use my the good old X-Bone. The X-Bone, good controller. X-Bone controllers are great. The solid controller. But um, most roguelikes, though, I play on um, keyboard. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me. It really de- it really depends on the game. Um, obviously, like faster than light, you have to play on keyboard. Is yeah. keyboard. Um, Enter the Gungeon is mouse keyboard, hundred percent. For me, I played. I actually play Gungeon with controller. No, I play mouse keyboard. Do you get a cursor in that for where your mouse is? Yes. Okay, that makes all the difference. So yes. Like I like if you have a cursor, then mouse and keyboard I like a lot better for twin sticks. Mm-hmm. If not, then actually I do like the controller better, just because like you can't you don't have that visualization of like. Where, where yeah. you are anyway. So. Well, I, I, I even play Isaac on keyboard. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, for me, it's it, it's when I'm talking, squ- I almost said squintick. Squinsquicks? Squintick. The tin the tin squicks. The, the, the kintwick. The squibnicks. I like to play it with a controller. I just like the feeling of the, the two analog sticks. And playing it literally twin stick like that that feels natural to me yeah. versus playing with the mouse and keyboard where risk of rain I prefer to play with mouse and keyboard because it's it's that 3D style and I'm like right it's, it's a shooter it doesn't feel shooter. right yeah, yeah. once you've feel. played a shooter anything with aiming like that where you've used mouse and keyboard it's so hard to go back mm-hmm. yeah yeah well I I played Dead Cells on 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 a uh, controller so. yeah yeah. I, it, well, it all I depends mean, on the game. It, it's a Metroidvania style roguelike, yeah. so that's it, I one mean, it where makes sense. People, there, uh, there's a very compelling case that keyboard is better for platformers, but like 
doesn't change the fact I can't do it. Yeah. Oh, I I tried doing it with Shovel Knight. It was a mess. It's, I couldn't get through the planes. It was a I tried. mess. But if you could, you got that Neo effect going, right? Where, like, you can do anything. Yeah, like, you, you can do, double press directions that don't make sense. You can do whatever you want. You could do wild stuff. And, that like, you see some of the highest-ranked players play keyboard. Like, some of the highest in the speedrunning community. I'm yeah. pretty sure Applesauce, who I, or no, he doesn't have the world record anymore. I think. I think Smaugy took Smaugy it from got him. it back. But Smaugy definitely plays But he keyboard. plays keyboard, and then Applesauce plays keyboard. Yeah. So, like, you see it. I think Moomoo plays keyboard. No, Moomoo plays controller. Does he? Yeah, controller, he plays, yeah. I think he plays PlayStation 4 controller, actually. Okay. Which is wild. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people prefer it for some, like, there's something about, the for some games, the, the stick has, like, a square detection box mm-hmm. where it snaps to corners and people mm-hmm. like it for that. I noticed people play Mario Maker with the PS4 controller. Do they? Yeah, Mario Maker 2, they're playing with the PS4 yeah, controller, good for apparently. I think but people, there's there's some kind of complaint about the uh, the Switch Pro Controller's D-pad. I don't know the nature of the complaint, but uh, I, don't I have heard a lot of people say that they would prefer to play with PS4. It's a bit mushy. Now, hot, hot question here. Is Mario Maker 2 a roguelike? No. I think it's informed by those elements. Like, the, the playing random level marathons definitely... Is is kind of a, a reaching result of the popularity of roguelikes. Yeah, that's a much better answer than I was expecting. <laughs> Mine was just no, just no. I would have said no too, and that would have been it. But yeah, but no, you I said informed it. by those elements. You went, <laughs> you went in on it. I respect I'll buy that. that. Like, yeah. Academic to the dissertation. Uh, <laughs> in conclusion, my thesis is PhD. No, it's kind of like the randomizers. Like I wouldn't say it's they're roguelikes, but like. Boy, howdy, are they related? Yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, speaking of, since we were talking about Mario Maker, like I talked about it before. Was that there's that Kaizo Super Mario World level that came out that randomizes itself. If you die, the level's different the second time you go through it. Yeah. Which is wild to think that that's, that's starting to happen now. <laughs> In the ROM hacking community, yeah, you're starting to get like that. Just seems rude. Craziness. It just seems really rude. <laughs> that is next level. Yeah. I love it. I think That's it's some galaxy brain troll right there. Secret I think it's called Secret of Mario is the name of the level. Like the, the front cover looks like Secret of Mana. Secret of Mana, yeah. And it's called Secret of Mario. So I can't wait until they just mash all the Super Nintendo games together into one randomizing world where every 10 seconds your character shifts into the main character of a different game. <laughs> I want to make a random <laughs> I want to make a Mega Man randomizer. Where it has just fight like, random bosses. It, the levels are different. The boss is different for the level. Like the ability you get will be different. Like that would be a crazy randomizer. You got a bubble blaster from Woodman. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Out like, of a Leckman stage. <laughs> so you have to you have to rework everything. But it has Gutsman's music. What if it? What if it also randomized what they were weak against? Holy shit! That just changes. That just makes these games ridiculous. I love it. Somebody, if it hasn't been done, somebody do it. I'll play. And it randomizes all the buttons. <laughs> that, that might be a bit much. Every 10 seconds. Mega Man comes out of the game and punches you in the face. <laughs> but in a random spot. <laughs> this time it's your nose. But I think it, like I think controller scheme play, definitely, for me, it at least plays a role in randomizers. Like... Um, 
like you were saying, you play with mouse and keyboard, and I just there's certain games I just can't imagine playing with a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, I just it, it's not in it for me. I'm like, ah, uh-uh, can't do it. No, sir, I don't like it. I we started Risk of Rain on both of us, me and Alex, both started Risk of Rain on controllers. Yeah, and oh, yeah. then we went to mouse and keyboard, and we're like, oh my god, this is so much better. Why, Why were we doing that? Yeah, right. <laughs> And I guess it's because we played the first one, which was more suited for yeah. a, a controller. And then you're like, oh, that that was terrible. No, this, this was a bad idea. This does not work. This is uh, the worst possible thing. <laughs> I'd be better off trying to control this telepathically. Maybe at some point we should try playing the first one again. I'm in. I, I'd be down to I'm play down. the first one again. But I also want to play this 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 King's Butt or whatever you were talking about. For the King. Is that? King's wait, is butt. that? Oh, it's new from the makers of FTL. I'm looking at Frank's uh, what, Steam uh, store, Into the Breach. Into the Breach. Oh, I still got to play breach. that. Yeah, so do I. I haven't. It got way, like, right past me. I heard it's actually really good. Yeah, it got that, past me, too. I'll have to give that a try. That's what I've heard. Um, Hand Wait, of do Fate I have it? is a good game. Do you? You do. No, you want it. Oh. I was going to say, I have this game? <laughs> what? But Hand of Fate was a cool game. Um, It's sort of like... Slay the Spire. I haven't played Slay the Spire. Uh, I actually really like Slay the Spire. It's sort of like Slay the Spire, but not. Like, everything is played through these cards. Like, you're dealt this hand of cards, and you'll have different instances where you have to do different things throughout the game, and the cards will be different every time where you're going through this, like, it's like a like a board, and you go through it, and the cards have different, like, uh, parameters to collect the card or beat the card or whatever it might be. Right, it makes right. it really interesting. It's a really cool game. That That's another one that I would really suggest people to play is Hand of Fate 1 or 2. I think I have Hand of Fate over there somewhere. It's it's over there somewhere. It's over there somewhere. Ah, I see it. It's right yeah. behind Torchlight. Oh, okay. Good. But, I uh... <laughs> I mean, any any other games we want to we wanna touch on? Any other, like, design elements? Because I, you, I feel like that's yes. where the juiciness of the roguelikes really comes in. Yes, there's one in particular that I want to talk about that I'm surprised we haven't talked about because of its way of doing roguelike that makes it super interesting, and that's Cryptid and Necrodancer. Oh, Cryptid and Necrodancer is a roguelike rhythm game. Yeah, it's a roguelike rhythm game, which makes it so interesting. Oh, it's so cool. And, like, the soundtrack is easily the best part of that game. Oh, it's bumping. And, and Cadence of Hyrule... I've heard oh, Cadence of Hyrule is pretty good. The the soundtrack and that is bumping. I spent mm. ten minutes playing Crypt of the Necrodancer and I couldn't wrap my brain around it. It's, it's tough. Once you... Like, once it clicks, it's it becomes really, really easy to, to kind of move on. But, like, just that initial, like, why, why won't it let me move or attack? What am I being hit by? What is happening? Yeah. Like, but once you realize that everything goes by, like, the, the the beats, like, the enemies move and attack on the beats, you do some, like, some enemies might move on every other beat, some of them might move on every, like, third or fourth beat, and it's... Are there offbeat enemies? No. No. Because you, you actually, it, you're discouraged from moving offbeat. Well, here's something I don't know about Cryptid Necrodancer that is in Cadence of Hyrule. If you clear out an area... In Cryptid and Necrodancer, are you allowed to move freely at that point, or do you still have to move on beat? You still have to move on beat. Okay, that's something that's interesting. Well, there's about. also the fact that you can't actually clear a full area in Cryptid and Necrodancer. The game doesn't give you enough time. Okay. Like, once the song ends, 
you're just immediately dropped into the next floor. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you don't really have time to like sit around and explore. As soon as the song is over, you're done. That stage is over. So can you advance just by surviving the songs? Yes. Oh, okay. Because in but if you want to advance on your own, you have to kill the boss to open the door. Okay. Because in Cadence of Hyrule, the way it works is if you're on a screen with enemies, if you kill all the enemies, they allow you to move freely without the beat. Uh, well, there is a character in Crypt the Necrodancer that lets you move around the beat. Okay. Um, but I think he's a pacifist. Like, you can't actually attack with him. Okay. I may be mistaken, but I'm I was going to say, sure if they could just like move around freely, they kind of, like, broke the whole game. Yeah. But if they have something like that, like they're not allowed to attack, that's definitely going to make it. Either they're not allowed to attack, because or if they you just touch have to money, survive until you have to survive until the song ends. Yeah. Essentially. And there's another character where if they touch money at all, they die. Wow. So yeah, that's there's sad. there's some interesting some interesting things in that game. There's some interesting like character hindrances that it gives you. Yeah, and that's. Similar thing, similar style, procedurally generated dungeons, uh, is the way Cryptid and Acrodancer works, correct? Yeah, like, yeah, it, it is procedurally generated. Because I know with uh, with Cadence of High Rule, the difference is that the world map changes, um, and the dungeons change, but like the bosses are all the same. You know, you know what to expect from like bosses and stuff like that. Items are different, but. It's I, I guess it's a little bit different. It's a little bit less procedurally generated, I guess. Right, right. Uh, but I might be wrong. Like, I don't have a lot of experience with either, to be fair. I just started playing Cadence of Hyrule, and I I only played a little bit of Crypt and the Necrodancer. I, I think I have, like, 20 hours in Crypt and the Necrodancer. Okay. I didn't play any Cadence. But Cadence is actually the main character in Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yeah. So... I'm guessing that's why they, they named it Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah, she's in it, and you can choose to play between the three. You can choose to play as her, or Link, or Zelda. Oh, okay. So you kind of get to choose who you want to play as, and they, they all have, uh, I think each of them has different abilities, mm-hmm. uh, so you can choose which one suits your needs, but I'm not 100% sure if that's correct, because I only played as one so far, so right. I might be wrong. I'm just letting everybody know. I might be wrong. So go ahead and yell at me, I guess. Do it. Yell at him. Hey, send, or send him cat pictures. Oh, you meant... Oh. I meant... I meant. Sorry, idiot. I meant the people who are... Sorry, idiot. <laughs> I got him. You clod. <laughs> but yeah, they definitely... Roguelikes definitely bring a new element. In... in for me, it it's... The one, like I said earlier, the one that sells me the most is the freshness of it. Yeah, because it can stay fresh, and it's it's hard to deny the impact that it's had too. It's true. I'm gonna do it, guys. I'm gonna talk about Dark Souls. <laughs> okay. No, so Dark Souls came out in 2011, and like there was this whole kind of like reengagement with difficulty in games, and yeah. like it became like this huge topic that everybody's fucking sick of now, but. Like, I, I think the, to say, like, oh, Dark Souls brought back difficulty kind of overlooks roguelikes really coming in and saving the day. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a lot of the groundwork, too, and people are really engaged by that again, and I'm happy. And you, you know what I find interesting about, like, the impact of roguelikes now is that they're kind of a vestige of old internet. Like, a lot of roguelikes... 
like the whole roguelike genre pretty much started out as flash games you had things like uh temple run uh or sphinx temple or whatever it was uh the original binding of isaac was a flash game uh there was a lot of those old style like flash games that were they were just roguelikes they were like low resource you could you could argue that the mushy transition between like arcade games and roguelikes yeah because they came with the arcade like like the runners just like who can run the furthest who mm-hmm. can move the helicopter the first down that dumb green tunnel yeah yeah you had your 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 flappy bird and all that only now flappy you can, bird was there yeah now you can give them like a laser gun and like an extra jump and mm-hmm. you know you can go backwards twice in a level and <laughs> i play a lot of that helicopter game yeah it's a pretty good game but like those those old flash games turned into like what we call roguelikes now. I have one funny anecdotal story. Just one. Just one. Exactly one story about specifically like that helicopter game. There was a heli. It might not have been on the flash game website, but there was a specific helicopter game that I wanted to play, and it was on Facebook. So I literally created a Facebook account so I could play it. And then when I got bored with the game, deleted my Facebook <laughs> account. I was like, all right, I'm done with this game now. Delete this. I don't need this. It's like me deleting my Uplay account. Yeah. Once I got bored with Child of Light. <laughs> like, it's like, all right, I'm good. I don't need this game anymore. Delete. I'm, I'm fine with not having Facebook. No, I, I very much love the freshness that that roguelikes can bring. Yeah, mm. that's I th- I think ultimately that that's the biggest selling factor to me is the is the is the randomness of it, the freshness of it, and then the difficulty aspect comes. Yeah, the difficulty aspect because that's that's part of the fun of it is just overcoming challenge. Yeah, and if it's not difficult, then what's the point of it being random? It's wild though because like even though they're known for difficulty, like they don't need to be super difficult to be good like that's kind of it is if you make it right then like it scales to a wide range of skill levels mm-hmm. like some people will be happy playing just like the first few levels or like doing a normal run yeah and there's all sorts of options for everybody else too yeah exactly well that's what pisses me off about like i remember saying the when dark dead cells first came out Dark, dark Souls. It's the Dark Souls of roguelike, and I'm like, oh my god, stop! Oh, it's, it's Dark Souls because no. it has rolling. No, <laughs> it's Dead Cells. It's it's its own game. Dark Cells. Dark Dead Souls. Dead Souls. Dark Cells. Dead Dark. Dead Dark. Dead Cell dark. Souls. Stairmaster. <laughs> Ramrod. It, Car Ramrod. Everything has to be compared to it anymore. Oh yeah, well everything is Dark Souls. It, in 2011, Dark Souls came out, and for the first time since Super Mario Brothers, it was the first game ever made. <laughs> like, I, I'll be we're, we're living this this era we're living in right now is the Dark Souls of gaming it's, journalism. It, well, it's, <laughs> we're in the age of darkness. <laughs> it, it's it's the post Dark Souls era. Like you know how they have like uh, when you're talking about sports, they're like, oh well, you know, he has the most home runs. In the modern era, while we're in the mm-hmm. Dark Souls, <laughs> like it's everything after Dark Souls. Like we got, we got, we got BC and AD or BCE and whatever with our calendar. You got, you got like before the Battle of Yavin and Star Wars, and now we got the new standard in the real world: Dark Souls. Dark Souls, Dark Souls era. 
This is the it, Dark Souls of Eras. It's in the year of our Dark Lord nine. <laughs> I won't. I won't lie. It's honestly, in some ways, made me kind of hate Dark Souls because of the overuse of Dark Souls in everything. See, here's the thing. Whenever, whenever a game journalist says this is the Dark Souls of something or other, I'm just like, okay, you haven't played Dark Souls. No, I assume you they just, just or, need people to read their stuff, so or they, they haven't played the game that they're reviewing. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh, it's just another example of how fandom ruins everything. Or Hell am, is other fans. Or am I just like, am I just missing Poe's law? Is that could that be the possibility it's that it's all fucking satire and I just don't get Maybe. it? And I'm like, Maybe Poe's law. Is I, I do think that there is a strong vein of saying it ironically that blank is the Dark Souls of blank. Yeah. yeah. Like comparing things to Dark Souls is the Dark Souls of comparisons. Is the Dark Souls. <laughs> it's of- the Dark Souls of comparisons. <laughs> Dark Souls 2 is da- the Dark Souls of Dark Souls. Yeah. That's a fact right there. It's Dark Souls fact. is the Dark Souls of Dark Souls. <laughs> Dark Souls is... Dark Souls. It's That's all. And then Dark Souls. <laughs> Dark Souls is not a roguelike. <laughs> Dark Souls is not a roguelike. It does have a randomizer, and the randomizer sucks. <laughs> don't play it. Play the Daughters of Ashmod. It's much better. I don't know what that is. It's, it's an overhaul mod. When you put the uh, new threat mod into Dark Souls. Yeah. Oh, okay. Basically. Okay. So it's like a Gabe overhaul. Gotcha. And move shit around, new bosses, things like that. Gabe overhaul. Gotcha. I thought, I thought maybe like you'd be playing Dark Souls and then suddenly like Guard Scorpion comes out and you're like, what the fuck? Why are you here? <laughs> and you're just like, what did I do? What did I do? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Why is this here? Attack while the tail laser is up. <laughs> I'll do it. It's not a good idea. No. <laughs> Why did you tell me that part last? <laughs> Always goes back to the Mitch Hedberg joke. Do. Okay. Not. Damn it. <laughs> Embrace the contraction. <laughs> I just gotta say, it's important to note that we got back to Dark Souls in this podcast, but this is also at least the second consecutive episode where we talk about Final Fantasy VII. It is. Well, this is how it comes up a lot. Well, we also talked about it on the soundtracks episode. Second episode. How do you not, though? Yeah, how do you not? It's true. <laughs> Here you go, Pat. I'll, I'll, I'll give you... It's the second one. Yeah! There we made it this far, folks. I can't believe it. Thanks for being there. I'd like to thank me for doing this. I'd like to thank Dark Souls. <laughs> So, guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> remember to check it out on Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. Join, no lo- click the bell, join the notification squad, scrumble us on the Grimbler. Yeah, do do all the things. Make sure if you're listening to us on iTunes to give us a review if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, give us a review anyway and let us know what you don't like. Embrace the algorithm. We can't get any better if we don't know what you don't like about the Tell about us why we suck. Push those buttons. Drive the impressions. <laughs> Retweet it to your mom. Send cat pics. That's <laughs> uh, twitter.com slash cheritomo. <laughs> yes. But uh, don't forget to tell grandma about the podcast, too. Yeah, She'll totally get what we're talking about. Absolutely. Have her take it to P Knuckle. Absolutely. Or to Bridge. Tell the Bridge, bridge. Club. Bridge. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to do it. Her knitting Crochet. collective. And instead of bingo, she should just yell bad RNG. <laughs> bad <laughs> she RNG. should just yell Dark Souls. 
But thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will catch you on the next one. Whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I hope you have a good one. Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Dark Souls. <laughs>